from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at LeBanks, St Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Okay, uh, CQ47, I'm going to read from verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, from the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out of the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate, and faces east, and and there was running out of the right side. And when the man went out of the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits and brought me through the waters, and the waters came up to my ankles. Then he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. The waters came up to my knees. Again he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters that came up to my waist. This is the verse I want you to think about. Again he measured 1,000 and it was a river that I could not cross. For the water was too deep, water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. I want to talk really this morning. I kind of changed what I was saying, kind of last minute sort of thing. But I want to talk this morning about uh, cultivating a life in the Spirit. How do we cultivate a life in the Spirit? I've asked myself this question. Think about it. What is a normal Christian? How do you measure what normality is? What is a normal Christian? Who thought about that? What is, what is a kind of normal Christian. If I was this morning, I was thinking of, as I was thinking of St. Lucis there. Can you imagine if I turned up and preached with swimming shorts? Now, I'm sorry, I'm sorry if that's giving you a bit of a, a bad image or something to put you off your lunch or something, but yeah. <laughs> People think that's kind of not normal. People don't preach in swimming trunks, whatever it is. It's kind of not a normal thing. Probably if I was in St. Lucis or Hawaii, maybe. It might be kind of fairly normal. In other words, we measure normality by, by a certain measure, what we measure against. That's how you measure what is normal, what you measure it against. One of the great books is by Watchman Nee. He wrote a book called The Normal Christian Life. And this is what he said. He said, when, the no- when is the normal Christian life? We do well at the outset to, to ponder this question. The object of his studies, which was his book, was to show there is something very different from the life of the average Christian. How do we measure what is a normal Christian? Often, our view of what a normal Christian is often very different to what God's view of a normal Christian is. I think it was about a year or so ago. And I felt well, I felt good. Angie booked me in to see the nurse. And you just start this checkover, this checkover sort of thing. And after that, I felt perfectly well, I felt good, I felt just nothing wrong with me. And I expected to go, and she'd go, oh yeah, fantastic, wonderful, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, everything, and I just felt so well. But the moment she checked my blood pressure, Henry realised it wasn't normal. It was literally off the charts. Even though I felt great in myself. So even though outwardly everything grew, when it came to a certain measure, my blood pressure, if you like, was off the charts. And in the same way, how do we measure what is a normal Christian? I often think because of religion, because of the things we often, the way we've measured it, has distorted 
how we measure what a normal Christian is. Our measuring stick isn't people. Our measuring stick is not other churches. Our measuring stick, in a sense, is not even our own experience. The way we measure what is normal and what is not normal is really the life of Jesus and the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament. That's what we measure our life against, what is normal and what isn't normal. Because really, let me just quote, I love this, what, what Sid Roth said. He says, before Jesus comes back, and this is a prophetic word he said, he said there will be two churches, one that will be religious and, and the other will be normal. In other words, and he, when he's talking about religious, he's not talking about necessarily ritualistic. You could be Pentecostal but religious. How many realise that? In other words, you have a form, but there's no real power to live the Christian life. And he says in the last days, there'll be that, there'll be that separation. Those who are just living the Christian life outside of any power of God, and those who are normal, who live in the power of God. You know, Coca-Cola, in the 80s, they decided, because Pepsi-Cola, you know the other one, Pepsi-Cola and Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola were taking over all the sales. So they decided to change their whole basis of how they, how they sort of advertised their, their particular brand. And they decided, say, they decided to declare it the, the new Coca-Cola. But the moment they decided and defined it as something new, this new Coca-Cola, sales began to fall, even worse than it was before. So they decided to change the whole thing. And they called it Classic Coca-Cola. And the moment it went back to its originality, sales began to take over, and from that point on, Coca-Cola's always been way ahead of Pepsi-Cola. Now, here's what I'm trying to say. The moment we deviate from the original Christianity that Jesus desires us to live, it no longer becomes appetizing and desirous to anybody else. So I want to say, how do we measure what is a true Christian? I think we do it this way. We cultivate our lives that is a life in the Spirit. To me, a life in the Spirit is a normal Christian life. That's how you measure it. The story in the 10th century, Thomas Aquinas was once with Pope Innocent. I don't, I don't even know why I can remember his name, but I can. Pope Innocent. And Pope Innocent took Thomas Aquinas around the Vatican. And he said to him, Thomas, look, look at all. And he took him to the treasure. This is all the gold. This is all the treasure we have. No longer do we say, silver and gold have I none. And then Thomas Aquinas turned to him. He says, no longer also do we say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And I think God, if you like, is calling us really to a Christianity that is normal. Actually, what is revival in essence? What is revival? You know what revival is? Revival is bringing us back to normality. Revival is God bringing us back to the kind of normal Christianity that's going to impact and influence our world. That's what I want to talk about, how we cultivate 
a life in the Spirit. How do we cultivate a life in the Spirit? Really, a life in the Spirit is really becoming aware, having an awareness of the presence of God within you. See, what you become most aware of, ultimately, is what controls you. If you're more aware of fear, then fear controls you. If you're more aware of anxiety, then anxiety controls you. Whatever you're more conscious of, whatever you're most aware of, is ultimately that is what rules you and controls you. And so, if I become more and more aware of the Spirit of God, then it will be the Spirit of God that rules and controls because that is what I am aware of. Now, here is Ezekiel. He has this vision as he walked more and more within that river, that river took him to greater levels and greater depths, to the point he was carried by this amazing river that began to flow. He was carried by this river. Jesus almost quoted this in in John 7, when he says, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. In other words, The rivers within us are so immense, are so deep, they flow out of us. God's goal for us is to always live a life of overflowing. So what is poured into us is so deep and so powerful, it flows out of us. It's the overflow. It's out of the overflow that God begins to work and God begins to move. Out of the overflow. And it's out of your inner being, in other words, out of your belly will flow waters. Who thought about your belly? Your belly is where you feel things. Ever gone for an interview and you feel those butterflies? Ever gone to the dentist and it seems a very long time in that waiting room and suddenly you feel all those butterflies and, the, and, you, and then you see someone coming out with their, their, their hand with an handkerchief with their mouth and, you know, pale white as they come out and, uh, next one please and you're, oh, suddenly I've got another appointment. So, you know what I mean? That, that kind of feeling. I remember when I was at school, there was this guy, he was a big guy and I was glad he was my friend but if you looked at him in a wrong way, he'd say this, meet you outside the school at four o'clock. He'd say it to everybody. So, if you looked at him wrongly or did something wrong, he'd say, out of school, four o'clock. And he was such a huge guy. I remember people, you could just see the, the guys looking at the clock thinking, you know, their face being drained as they saw that all. I mean, remember that four o'clock? Remember that one? And that's when we did a few hours at school. Remember that side? The point was that that's where you feel things. And what Jesus is saying that you're, you are so influenced, so touched by the Spirit, that you begin to feel the affections of God. You feel His love. You feel His compassion. As we sang earlier, we begin to love the things that He loves. And we begin to hate the things that he hates. We're just so overwhelmed by the affections of God. We feel his love, his peace. We feel his joy. I love the story. There's a story of a guy called Jonathan Edwards in the 17th century who saw an incredible move of God. And he tells a story of his wife who was so overcome by the Spirit. She was so full of joy. He uses this description for two weeks she could not cook a meal or she could not do any housework. She was just so overwhelmed with joy. And I was thinking to myself, can you imagine thinking to his mind, God, is this really you? She can't cook my dinner. 
She can't do the housework. Is this really you? But she was so overwhelmed with this incredible sense of joy. And almost the affections of God, because then we know God's a God of what? Joy. And so the affections of God began to capture and, and move in her heart and move in her life. So Jesus says that when, the, that when that river's flowing in you, it begins to cause you to experience and to know the affections of God. You have God's affections. Because the river of God runs so deep in you. Sometimes people just begin to, to, to weep and there's just something of the heart of God is imparted into your heart as the Spirit of God begins to work and move and overwhelm you. Now notice this about, us, about Ezekiel. He comes up to his ankles. How many realise that when river's up to your ankles that you are in total control? But as he began to keep walking, the, the sheer force of that river began to push him to the point he was floating and that river was carrying him. And this is the key I want you to see. I think God wants us to so be aware of the Spirit that we learn to trust him. We begin to let go of the things that that we are trusting in and we begin to let the Spirit of God carry us as we begin to just let ourselves go, if I use that word. And let the Spirit of God begin to carry us and move us and rule us. I remember learning to swim. The biggest problem I had learning to swim was I never wanted really to take my feet off the bottom. How many of you experienced that? I found it very hard to trust that the water, if that would carry me. And so I'd always be doing this, feet on the bottom, and it used to be so tiring. And I used to be so worn out after, after you know, because I just could, I just did not want to take my feet off the bottom. I just couldn't trust, just couldn't let go. So I'd always kind of try to learn that way. It, was, it became so much easier when I learned to take my feet off the bottom. And that's almost true with, with the things of God. God is saying, quit wanting to keep your feet on the bottom. In other words, we only want to do things that we feel comfortable with things that we feel we can do in our own ability, our own talent, our own resources, because we don't really want to trust God because we want to keep our feet on the bottom. And the problem is when we do that, we never really come into all the ability, all the power that God has for us. I think the greatest hindrance to cultivating a life in the Spirit is the fear of really, truly letting go. Because something in us always wants to be in control. We want to rely on our own ability, our own power, our own resources. And so we want to live a life that is just based on our own ability and power. Which means we, we limit God because we never fully enter into all that God has for us. And here's the problem. We get so accustomed to living a life that way, that's depending on our own wit, our own ability, our own strength, our own power, our own resources, we never truly know what it is to take our feet off the bottom and really learn to swim in the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, the only place where we ever see God fully work in and through us 
is when we learn to trust, rely, and become dependable on the work of the Holy Spirit. And the moment we get to that place of true dependability, where we're learning to swim and trust in the Holy Spirit, it's at that point we're truly going to see God work and God move and do something God amazing. Amen? It's hard to truly move in the things of God as long as we still have our feet on the bottom. As long as we still want to be in control. And I believe that's the key. It's the, it's the desire to want to have control. The fear of losing control. The fear of depending fully on God, which limits God's work in our life. And that's what he wants. We just say, Lord, I want to come to a point. You think about it. Why do we want to hold on control? Because it's fear. The fear of letting go. The fear of not truly having control. And here's what you need to learn to do. I found this. The more I begin to experience and encounter the love of God, the more I'm willing to let go. Why? Perfect love, what does it do? Casts out fear. So the more the love of God infuses me, the more I'm willing to let go and let God. And let that river of God begin to work and carry me and do amazing things through me because I've learned the power of letting go and losing control and letting God begin to work and move in my life. See, the real key is surrender. The real key is yielding. Saying, Lord, I yield myself into you. That's what the word yield means. It means to give yourself into the hand of God. We say, if I do that, what could possibly happen? What if I, what, what happens when I really loose myself and give myself fully God? And often there's a fear of what really can happen. But you'll be amazed when you begin to fully yield yourself to the control and the direction and the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll be amazed what God can do through you. Can you say amen? I'll turn to another scripture. Romans chapter, because Romans chapter 14. Let me give you, you think about this. There's another good illustration. Well, illustration. I want to say good just in case you don't think it is. Uh, electricity needs to have a good conduit for it to flow through. A bad conduit will stop the electricity from flowing through it. A good conduit will allow electricity to flow through. I remember when I was at school, we used to have this science teacher. Teachers were kind of cruel in those days. They really weren't, Nicole. They were cruel in those days. I know you're not like that, but they were cruel. And one of the things this science teacher used to do, I think it was a Van de Graaff, this belt used to go round. Then you put a glass case on it, and if you got a question wrong, you have to touch it, which meant you got an electric shock. So how many realised I've never, I never actually. It was such a motivation to study and, and to learn things because none of us wanted to get an electric shock because as you touch that glass, this, you'd have this spark come off and hit you, and I hated it. So I remember at night, just under the blanket, just reading. I just didn't want to get a question wrong because I didn't want to get that electric shock because it was a. I found myself a good conduit, incidentally, as well. And the point is, there are things that, that 
that God wants good conduits. Really, all we are are channels. If we could get this good, all we are really, in essence, we are channels of God. That's all we really are. And what God is looking for are good channels, God conduits, that he can totally flow through. That's all he's looking for. He's not looking for great ability. He's not looking for great talents. He's just looking for vehicles, channels, people that he can work through and move through. It's really ultimately not about you. It's about who's in you. And what we really are looking to do is to remove the things that block, that hinder the spirit within. And the more we begin to remove the blockages, the the more we begin to remove the hindrances, the more the spirit will begin to flow in and through us. The more the spirit of God will begin to flow through our lives because the blockages, the things that hinder are removed. And so we give a clear way for God to work and move us. We become vessels, vehicles, that he can use for his glory. He can say, Amen. And the moment you realize, Lord, all I am is a channel. All I am is a vehicle. And I open myself. I remove every hindrance, every barrier, and I allow you to work through me. I trust you. I rely upon you. I lose control and allow you to work and move through me. And you realize we're going to touch the world when that begins to happen. You say, Amen. Now, Romans chapter 14. Here, if you like, are are qualities of a life lived in the Spirit. Romans 14 and verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I mean, love that. Now, when I first saw that, the first few words frightened me. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. That's pretty, you know what I mean? That wouldn't be a particularly... Imagine, now I'm I'm living in kingdom culture, I can't eat or drink. You know, that's not what it's about. Because Romans 14 really is talking about people really getting caught up with what they eat, what they don't eat, and eating food offered to idols. And so what Paul is trying to bring home to them... Don't get so caught up with the things that are irrelevant that you miss what it's really all about. It's not a matter of food or drink. It's not a matter about irrelevances. And here is the problem. So often we get caught up with things that are irrelevant. Things in the cold of the day don't mean anything. And he's saying the true emphasis of kingdom life, of kingdom culture, are three things. Righteousness, peace and joy. Those are the three elements of kingdom culture. When you go into another nation, you find there are different cultures. Is that right? And Paul says, in the kingdom of God, the culture of God, there are three elements that define us as part of that kingdom. Righteousness, peace and joy. Righteousness means to be rightly connected to God. So he's saying that that a life lived in the Spirit means it's a life of continually being connected in a right way to God. You are continually, constantly conscious of God's presence, of God's life living and working through you. See, so also, it's a matter of peace. How many know peace is something you feel? How many have felt that when you're under stress, you feel the stress? Is that right? You feel worry. You feel, you feel those things. So if you feel negative things, how much more will you feel peace? 
that harmony, that inner peace within you, that stability, that inner harmony, that inner rest that comes through a life lived in the Spirit. How do I know when I'm not living in the Spirit? So tell you what happens. You feel disturbed on the inside. You lose your peace. There's a disturbance on the inside of you because peace has gone. Paul says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let it rule. Let it influence. Let it be strong and powerful in your life. Let it direct your decisions. Let it show you the direction and the destiny of your life. Let peace rule in your life. And then he speaks about joy. The joy of the Holy Spirit. You know when you think about it, how many say you feel really close to God when you feel miserable? You say, I really feel close to God, but I really feel miserable and depressed. That's not right, is it? The closer you feel to God, the more joy you experience. The Bible says, in his presence is what? Fullness of joy. So when the joy is not fully working in and through me, there's often a breakdown in the connection. God's called us to be people of joy. Every time you see particularly in the book of Acts, a description of God moving. It says they were filled with great joy. Joy was a major influence in the church. Now you think about this. If I live a life in the Spirit that's continually connected to God, continually filled with His peace, continually overwhelmed with His joy, you'll find that as an incredible advertisement to God. Is that right? What's the world looking for? Ultimately, they're looking for peace and they're looking for joy. They're, the trouble is they're trying different things to get it, which doesn't really bring them peace, which really doesn't bring them joy. But when we begin to exhibit that, when we begin to reveal a life that's closely, daily connected to God, that's full of peace, full of joy, it's a magnet that begins to draw and affect others around us. Can you say Amen. How does that ever take place? It's when I live a life full, powerful, influence, controlled by the Spirit. Look at Acts chapter 13. Here are people who are living a life and have cultivated a life of the Spirit. Acts 13, 1 to 4. Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger. Lucius Manin, who had been brought up with Herod, the patriarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them. Here's this incredible picture. This is such an important chapter, really, in the book of Acts, because it's the open door to Europe. It's where Europe now begins to receive the gospel. And this is where it began. There's two things I want you to see what took place. First of all, the Holy Spirit says, separate unto me. Part of living a life in the Spirit is learning to be separated unto the Spirit. You know what holiness means? 
It's really not really defined by regulations and laws. The word holiness means to be set apart. And that's what the Holy Spirit was saying. Just set apart for me. Separate yourself from things that hinder and influence, that hinder and hold me back. Anything in your life that you know is affecting you, that is pulling you back, that is drawing you away from God. He says, separate yourself from that. Cut yourself off from it. To be set apart means that you're fully given to Him. And that's what the Holy Spirit really is looking for. People who say, Holy Spirit, I just set myself apart for you to use me. And I'm going to cut myself off from anything that hinders and affects you from using me to the level you want. So there's the first thing, they set themselves apart. And there's the second thing, they partnered themselves with the Holy Spirit. It's a partnership. We partnership ourselves with the Holy Spirit. It's a partnership. We just say, Holy Spirit, I partner with you. Where you show me to go, I will go. I will follow you. The Holy Spirit doesn't follow us. We follow the Holy Spirit. And I think so often, we're waiting for God. But so many times, He is waiting for us. He says, you go and do what I told you to do and I will go with you. I think the greatest time to experience God's presence is when you're about his business. When you're stepping out of your comfort zone. When you're doing something you've never done before. When you're totally relying on him and you know you can't do it in your power and you know you can't do it in your ability and you're just stepping out for him are the greatest moments you experience the flow and the move of the Spirit. Can you say amen? Do you find that, Amanda? You did a lot of things you've never done before, is that right? And that's where you felt God's presence more. And that's the time you find. You find God's presence in that place where you step out. You're doing something that you know in your own ability you can't do. But you feel God's directed you. God's led you. God's pushing you. God's, if you like, flowing through you, moving you to that situation. And the more you begin to obey that, the more God will begin to flow. It's a partnership. We partner with the Holy Spirit. You just partner him. If he says lay hands on the sick, maybe, that's what you do. If he says go and bless someone, you go and bless them. If he says go and speak a word to someone, you speak a word to them. If he says phone a certain person up, whatever he tells you to do, You just obey his promptings, his leading, his influencing. And the moment you do that, the moment you act upon it, God will begin to flow and begin to move. That's the key. Hearing, obeying and doing. And the moment you do that, God will begin to come and reveal himself. Now, very quickly, let me just say this as I close. Let me give you some practical ways how we can cultivate this life of the Spirit. I think, you know, sometimes, I think sometimes we're trying to bring God down. Trying to bring Him down. But the truth is, it's releasing what He's put within us. I think Steve prayed earlier in the prayer meeting about that we are treasures. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. So the power might not be as a, be a verse, but it's of God. And that's the key. We have a treasure within us. 
So not, we're not necessarily calling God down, but we're releasing what God has placed within us. Let me give you very quickly some practical ways. I'll quickly go through these. You just think about them throughout the week. Here's the first thing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. See, the word enter means to experience. Enter his courts. Experience God. Do you know God this protocol? When you go and see the Queen, you have protocol. I didn't realise that. You don't, you don't go and give her a hug. You, know, oh, you don't give her a hug or give, her a, give me five sort of thing. Or you, don't, or you don't say, can I take a selfie with you, Your Majesty? You know what I mean? There's protocol. For example, that you're not allowed to turn your back. You have to keep walking backwards. And there's all kinds of protocol ways when you meet the Queen. How much so when we meet God? Here is a protocol. Enter his courts with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Praise means we give God all the attention. We exalt him. We lift him up. Rather than focusing on our problems, we acknowledge how great God is. We begin to thank him. We begin to praise him. We begin to thank him. We have gratitude. We begin to appreciate everything God does and continually does in our lives. You think the opposite of thanksgiving is complaining and criticizing. And God says, that's not the way you come into my presence. You come into my presence with appreciating all the goodness, all the blessings, all the things I give for you. And if you really want to experience an encounter, if you really want to experience the onward going work of the Spirit, then that's the way you do it. I've often said, the way you come in will define the way you go out. So if you come in with thanksgiving, if you come in with praise, I guarantee you're going to go out a different person. Amen? And that's the way you encounter him. You don't encounter him any other way but saying, Lord, I thank you. I praise you for who you are. I praise you for your greatness. I praise you for your awesomeness. I exalt you. I focus my attention and my heart on you. Let me ask you this question. I've asked myself. What is your first reaction to your problems? What's your first reaction to your challenges? If we learned to react with praise and thanksgiving, I guarantee we'd often see great breakthroughs and great changes. And here's the problem. Often we don't react like that to begin with. It somehow takes us time to sort of get, kind of get it that complaining and moaning doesn't change it. And the moment we get this fact, the moment a challenge or a problem comes and we say, Lord, I'm just going to praise you, I'm just going to thank you, I'm just going to focus on you, we would see such incredible transformation in our situations. Amen. Enter his course with thanksgiving and his course with praise. I think praise is love expressed. It's not living a life that, that is passive, but a life that is expressing your, your, your love and your unrestrained love of God. Here's the second thing, very quickly. Confidence. In other words, if we're going to really encounter God, we've got to get rid of all the guilt, all the condemnation. You'll never fully experience a life of the Spirit as long as you're full of guilt and condemnation. Why is that? Because God says there is therefore no condemnation in those in Christ Jesus. Is that right? So if I'm full of condemnation and guilt, then I'm not experiencing what God wants me to experience. And I found this. It's that there's a tremendous blockage. The moment accusation and condemnation and guilt grips you, it's very hard to fully encounter the life of the Spirit. And we've got to get that stuff out of it. We've got to put it under the blood and begin to experience His incredible mercy flowing to us. Third thing is very, is very important. Expectation. 
If you expect God to move, then he will. It's where your expectation lies. If your expectation lies in people, if your expectation lies in yourself, if your expectation lies in your circumstances, if your expectation lies in anything outwardly, then the truth is you're always going to be disappointed. But the moment your expectation is within God and who he is in you, then I tell you what, we're going to see such incredible things. That's the way we should come into church, that right? With expectation. We should come with, you know, we shouldn't need the worship banner to kind of work us up. We should just come in with praise, thanksgiving. We just come in with, 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 with thankfulness in our hearts to him. We come in with expectation in our hearts. And the moment we do that, the Spirit of God is released to come and move and swing in us really in a powerful way. Third thing is meditation. Focus your thoughts on God. David said, I always set the Lord before me. He's forever at my right hand. He just continually meditated on who God was. Just centered his thoughts and his mind and his attention on God. I believe Bible meditation is so powerful. It's almost something that very few do anymore. But I think there's something powerful when you begin to meditate on the Word of God. That's how you have success. You meditate on the Word and you focus your attention on the Word. And the more you do that, the more you begin to release because where the Word is, so the Spirit connects with it. Amen? And so you just focus, you meditate on the Word of God and the God will begin to show and reveal and do amazing things in your life. Next thing is waiting. Don't think much about that. Waiting on God. There's so much of the Psalms that is full of waiting on God. David says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen you. And waiting isn't something passive. You just rest in his presence. You just allow yourself to be soaked. I, used to, I like the word marinate. Remember your mom's, I remember my mom's pickled onions. Marinating the onions in the pickle. Remember that? And that's what really simply is. It's just marinating yourself in God's presence. You don't come with a big agenda or a big list of things. You just come before God and you just rest in his presence. You soak in his presence. You just allow his love to saturate you. You just rest and wait and allow his love and his presence to envelope your life. That's an incredible, refreshing thing to happen in life. You know, that's what Isaiah said. Those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And that's the way you you renew strength. That's the way you get spiritually strong, is to soak yourself in God's presence. To be overwhelmed and wait on Him. Next thing is, respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting. I think time and time again, God speaks to us. He gives us impressions, certain words, certain promptings. And the more I obey those promptings and those leadings and those, those words that God is speaking to my heart, the more I begin to see God work in my life. I'm developing that, that sensitivity, responding to what God says. What holds us back from doing that? You know where it is? It's fear of failure. Sometimes we are so afraid to fail 
we don't attempt anything at all. Dare I say, maybe the greatest failure is not attempting anything. (laughs) And sometimes there's a risk. What if I miss it? What if it isn't God? Well, what if it is God? What if that's an opportunity that God has given to you? And sometimes we will miss it. Sometimes we will make mistakes. But in the mistakes, we are learning to discern and follow the promptings and the leading of the Spirit. And lastly, sensitivity. Identify actions and attitudes in your heart that grieve the Holy Spirit. That's an ongoing culture, an ongoing life that we develop. Recognizing, revealing, seeing those things that often grieve the Spirit. And we begin to deal with those things. And the more we begin to deal with them, the more the flow of the Spirit begins to come. Let's just stand right now, just before him, just for a few moments right now. I want us to open our hearts to him right now. How many want to jump in the river? Sometimes we are so... There's a mighty river flow, but we sometimes can so easily want to stand on the banks. And God is just saying, come on, jump in the river. There's a river that's flowing so deep. Begin to jump in that river. Lay down. Give yourself into his hands. Be willing to let that river just flow in you. Say, Lord, I just don't want to hold on and want to be in control anymore. I want to become into a place of just dependency, reliance on your spirit. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delance Healing Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at